Um, well, let's turn to the book of Job. If you want to take your Bible and turn there now. Let's look together at uh, Job chapter 9. We've kind of parked it um, at the end of that really first round of discussion. And what I'm doing right now is kind of picking some themes that we've seen emerge from the book of Job. We talked about how we might be able to pray more biblically in light of what we've been learning uh, about Job. But... um, Uh, Today, uh, we want to talk about another subject that's been raised in our time together, and that's the topic of anger at God. Um, I I can imagine even with the events of the weekend in Norway, um, you see the headline of something like that, and um, many of us, believers, unbelievers, we get angry at at stuff like that. We get angry at at tragedies like that, and... um, and even getting anger at God, getting angry at God because of things like that. We've seen anger directed at God from Job. Look back at chapter 7 for a minute here and look at verse 11. This is the first point in the book where he really just lets go and out of the anguish of his heart starts telling God in the full vent of his emotion Verse 11, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I the sea or the sea monster that you have set a guard over me? If I say my bed will comfort me, my couch will ease my complaint, then you frighten me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul would choose suffocation, death rather than my pains. I waste away and I will not live forever. Leave me alone, for my days are but a breath. What is man that you do magnify him and you are concerned about him, that you examine him every morning and try him every moment? Will you never turn your gaze away from me, nor let me alone until I swallow my spittle? Have I sinned? What have I done, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself? We see there and we see it in other places in Scripture, uh, Job getting angry and directing his anger toward God himself. Um, So I thought with the car pulled over, we would take some time and just kind of talk about anger at God and uh, what we've seen in Job and and what we see in the whole of Scripture. Um, I haven't done too much statistical research, but um, I know just, just kind of the straw poll, a fair number of people that we see in our counseling ministry at some point in the process struggle with anger at God. Um, So I would think this is um, somewhat of a common problem. What are some other biblical examples of people that were angry at God that you can think of in in the Bible? Other people that were angry at God? Jonah. Jonah. That's number three in your notes there. The one that says Jonah right next to it. That's the giveaway. Um, Jeremiah, uh-huh, yes. Who else? The elder prodigal. Okay. Yeah, he was certainly angry, and, and we could kind of read between the lines and think that some of that was that anger at God. Okay. Yes, Tony. Moses. Okay. What, what situation are you thinking of with Moses? 
When he hits the stone? Yeah. Yeah, angry, angry at the people mainly there, but but yeah, probably angry at, angry at God because I can't remember what chapter it's in. At one point, he, he, you know, it's like, Lord, these are your people. They're stubborn. They're rebellious. You know, it's like it's all his fault. You know, so sure. They see Moses. Uh, here's the ones I came up with. The, the classic example. The first one is Cain, right? Remember that when his uh, sacrifice is not uh, received like his brothers, and the Scripture tells us. Um, and he became angry, and his countenance fell. And um, that's one of the... <laughs> if God is sovereign, and Terry talked about this a couple weeks ago, if God is sovereign and he runs everything in the universe, ultimately all of our anger terminates on God. Because even if I'm angry at a person, God is sovereign over that situation. So ultimately, even though I might be... You know, directly angry at the person, I, that some of that anger ultimately comes back to God Himself, since He's sovereign over everything that happens, including what happens with people. But some cases in Scripture were actually told so and so was angry at God, and that was the case with Cain. What about uh, what about David? Remember Uzzah, poor guy. You remember the, remember the ark was off. Uh, well, the Philistines took the ark and then they brought it back and they put it in the house of Ob- Obed Edom. And then um, they were going to move it back to Jerusalem. You remember the story? And they put it on a cart, and they're rocking along there on the cart, and you know, didn't have paved roads back then, right? So here they go, and the oxen are pulling the cart, and uh, something happened on the, the threshing floor of uh, one of the towns there. Hit a bump in the road, and the ark starts to fall off the cart. What does Uzzah do? He reaches out to grab the ark. What, isn't that what you would have done? What happened? Instant death. Uh, Numbers chapter 14, I believe, forbids anybody to ever touch the ark. Even the priests. Remember they carried it on poles? They put the poles through the rings and they would carry it so they never actually were touching the ark. And um, if you read it, actually, let's look at that one because that's an interesting example. Turn back to 2 Samuel uh, verse 6. I'm sorry, chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned at Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. Verse 8. And David became angry. Because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. And that place is called uh, Perez Uzzah till this day. Um, So we see David getting angry at God uh, because of his judgment of Uzzah. And I I don't know about you, I, I, I find that very easy to relate to David there. You know, I mean, he's he's trying to help God, you know, he's trying to keep your box from falling in the dirt. And obviously, God had a, a greater intent and meaning and message there um, about His holiness, right? 
And then, of course, Jonah and then Moses and, and um, the older brother, perhaps in the prodigal story, some other examples there. Uh, Jonah's, I wish we had time to look at Jonah. Um, well, Jonah's one of my favorite uh, stories in Scripture. And um, that little exchange in chapter 4 where he gets angry at God. And <laughs> remember what he says? He, he gets angry and he goes and pouts outside the city and God comes to him and says, why, you know, why are you angry? He says, I just knew you would do this. I just knew you would be merciful and gracious to these Ninevites. I just knew you would forgive their sin. He's all upset because he's gracious with them, right? I just knew you did this, Lord. So uh, it's an interesting, interesting story, but um, so so illustrates, I, was, I wouldn't say it's comical. It is somewhat humorous how overt it is. But isn't that convicting? Don't we do that? Don't we get angry sometimes that, God is gracious to people and merciful to people who we don't think deserve it. Um, so some examples of anger at God in Scripture there. Now, anger is a universal problem even amongst atheists. And I, I walked in here without my stack of articles here, so I'm going to do this from memory. Back in January of this year, in the uh, Journal of... I'm blank on it now. It's a psychological journal, Journal of Psychology and Social Science, I think. Um, a lady and uh, some other colleagues did a study on anger at God. And they discovered that even atheists and agnostics are angry at God. In fact, she discovered that atheists are more likely to be angry at God than believers. Isn't that interesting? That's one of those things where, where you wish, where psychology makes a wonderful observation and they don't have the theology to understand it, right? They just go, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. You know, kind of, it relates to our need for a higher being and our psychological felt need. And you just go, no, 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 no. The reason atheists get angry at God is because Romans 1 says they know God exists. They just suppress the truth because they want to live the way they want to live and they don't want to submit to his lordship in their life. Um, so I'll, I'll try to bring that article next time. It was fascinating. But even atheists, even atheists struggle with anger at God, according to this article here. Now, let me ask you a question. Is anger at God healthy? You might think so in reading a lot of literature, even Christian books. Listen to some of this. I read one article that said expressing anger to God can lead to greater insight, intimacy, dialogue, and trust of God by human beings, written by a Christian author. Um, I think that was the one that said, but only if it's the type of anger that Jesus expresses. And I thought, okay, so good anger at God is only the type of anger that Jesus expresses. And I went, they're not going to go there, are they? And they did. They, that article says, when Jesus was on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Son of God was getting angry at the Father. Yeah, I kind of had the same reaction. So, there you go. How about this one? Uh, this was uh, a website which claims to be about equipping churches and their leaders for mission in today's world. Surely the main thing to learn from the story, and he's referencing Jeremiah 20, one of you mentioned Jeremiah, is that it's okay to be angry with God. It's a healthy thing. Then I read a CT article, Christianity Astray, I mean Christianity Today. Um, Job was angry 
And he had a right to be. God had allowed him almost every loss possible on this earth. So yes, be angry at God if you must. Tell him what you're angry about. Use all the poetic language you want. God isn't injured by your anger. As if psychological wounding is the biggest concern about our relationship with God. And I'll tell you what, you browse the Christian bookstores, you flip on the Christian radio, you look at the blogosphere, and you might, you might very well conclude that I'm supposed to be angry at God. And if I'm not angry at God, I'm, I'm not where I need to be as a Christian. Because it's a very healthy thing to do, according to a lot of believers. Rich? Quick commentary. Mm-hmm. I said, be careful because there are some kids' versions of these, this material available. We don't want to go there. Consider what blasphemy? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I suppose, um, well, we'll talk about this in a minute. I suppose some churches would say um, that you should never express any emotion, sort of a Christian stoicism kind of thing. We'll talk about that in a minute. But I, I don't know. Are you aware of any? Oh, okay, sure. Yeah. Is that how it is in the Catholic Church? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, another hand. Yeah, uh, Wes? That's a really good point, Dave, because actually some of these authors, when they look at Job or they look at Jeremiah, um, you guys understand narrative is one of the trickiest parts of the Bible to interpret because it's just describing what happens. And we don't know in some cases whether what they're doing is a good thing or whether it's a bad thing, and that's why you want to clue in to what the narrator is saying because the narrator 
is the one who typically is giving us God's perspective on what's happening. And short of that, we look at other places in Scripture like you know, maybe Ephesians 4 or James 4, which talk about anger more specifically, and we let those sort of didactic sections help us interpret the narrative sections there. Um, so that, that's a good point. I think they, 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 they kind of are sloppy in their, in their understanding of some of those stories. Well, what is anger? Let me just give you a couple of definitions. You may have heard these before. My favorite uh, definition of anger is by the Puritan Richard Baxter, who called anger the rising up in the heart in passionate displacency. That's a great word that you need to go home with today. Passionate displacency. Next time you're angry with your wife, just tell her that you're being passionately displacent right now. Um, Against an apprehended evil which would cross or hinder us of some desired good. Nobody can say it like the Puritans can. And then uh, a more uh, modern author, Robert Jones, uh, Bob Jones, who's a um, professor out at Southeastern Baptist Seminary, in his book, Uprooting Anger, anger is a whole person active response of negative moral judgment against a perceived evil. It's important that we understand a definition of anger because part of the reason people think that anger at God is healthy is because they totally misunderstand anger from a biblical point of view. Anger is a response to some interpretation I make, some moral judgment that I make about something that's happened. It always You, you can't be angry without making a moral judgment about something. Okay, And that's what these authors are getting at. And, and, I, and I like the, the whole personed response that Jones gets at. Um, it affects my tone, it affects my physiology, it affects my, my words, it affects my demeanor, it affects um, how I feel. I mean, it's a whole body, a whole person response. And um, I, I can't do any better than Baxter on how it feels. It's the rising up in the heart in passionate displacency. Okay? There's your $100 word for the day. Now, we have to, given that definition, given that definition, can anger at God ever be a good thing? Why? Sure, that's right. Follow me on this, okay? If anger always involves a moral judgment. I've decided that something that just happened is wrong. Okay? If that's directed at God, then anger at God always involves concluding that God has done something wrong. You follow that? Look at your outline there. Anger at God is sinful because it involves accusing God of wrongdoing. And if you're not buying this, um, go home and think about the last last time you were angry. I was telling the kids uh, last Sunday night that um, one of the one of the uh, vehicles of sanctification God has been working in our lives at the Palmer Home is bath time. We have a two-year-old that doesn't like bath time. 
Um, he does not want any splash of water touching his body. He doesn't want soap. He doesn't want shampoo. He doesn't want toys. He, he doesn't want to be anywhere near that thing. He runs away. And, and on Sunday morning, he's figured out that he can be more effective in avoiding the bath if he can get daddy wet in his church clothes. Okay? So the splashing technique has been very, very effective lately. Um, what's going on in, in Eric's anger at me over bath time? He has made a moral judgment that having a bath, make, that me making him have a bath is wrong. He's making a moral judgment on that. He's deciding that that's not right. And that's exactly what happens with God. We say, I don't like what you just did. We saw it with David, right? You shouldn't have killed Uzzah. We saw it with Jonah. You shouldn't have forgiven the Ninevites. We saw it with Cain. You should have accepted my sacrifice. God, you should have, is the cry of the angry heart. God. And that's what makes it, as Dave mentioned, that's what makes it sinful. Now, do you see the connection with Job now? Do you see why Job is angry at God? What, what is, what's going on in Job's heart? What have we learned in the last several weeks? Talk to me here. What's going on with Job? Yes. Okay. Okay. He evaluated his own life. Can't find any problems. And what? God should have seen it the same way. And therefore, all the suffering in his life meant that what? God was being unjust. We've talked about that, right? That's the third theme of the book, right? The issue of justice, specifically of God's justice. And what do we do when God seems like he's being unjust? And that, and you, you, could, you could almost call it. If Job is saying... I don't think you did the right thing, God. You know he's going to be angry at some point. That's, that's the lighting of the fuse. The explosion is the anger. The lighting of the fuse is that moral judgment that something is wrong. So he, he's going to get angry. According to Christianity today, he has a right. According to Christianity today. Yeah, he has a right. Is right to be angry. Um, that's why we don't let Eric subscribe to Christianity today. So. This was precisely what led to Job's anger. He concluded that God was unjust and wrong for bringing his suffering. And we read that in chapter 7. We see it again in chapter 9, verse 20. Look back there just for a minute. This is, this is probably the clearest statement, at least so far. We're going to see some other ones later on in the book. Look at chapter 9, verse 20 again. Job writes, Though I am righteous, my mouth will condemn me. Though I am guiltless, he will declare me guilty. I am guiltless. I do not take notice of myself. I despise my life. Verse 22, it is all one. Therefore I say, he, God, destroys the guiltless and the wicked. What's he saying? I know I'm guilty. I'm sorry, I know I'm, I'm guiltless. God's going to clear me guilty anyway. God's wrong. And so what is his conclusion? It's all the same. 
God punishes the wicked and the guiltless. So who cares? And you'll see where he goes with that. He gets to that, that crazy place in his life where he starts saying, if that's the way it is, then I don't care. What's worth living for? What, is, what does anything matter at all? Now, let me... Yeah, I put that on there to remind me of, to tell you something. Um, Okay, watch this. Um, Just kind of putting in a picture what we just talked about. You understand, the situation doesn't make you angry, right? People don't make you angry. The situation and people are the occasion of anger, as as Paul Tripp helpfully points out. So there's some situation that happens, okay? I have to, this is very important, interpret that. Okay? We've talked about the importance of how we interpret things in life, haven't we? We've talked about that in here. This book, Job, this book is largely about how dangerous it is to misinterpret what's going on in your life. To misinterpret what's going on in your life because you have bad theology. So a situation happens, you interpret that, and that leads to your response. Okay? Now that's what's going on in Job. Job's seeing all this. He's interpreting it saying, well, I'm innocent. There's no sin in my life, obviously. So God's obviously wrong. And that's leading to his anger and to his accusation, wanting to take God to court. But th- this is very important that you understand this, this is the key, guys. This is the key. How we interpret things is the issue. And what, just, you know, this is review, this is kindergarten, what is supposed to drive how we interpret life? What is supposed to do that? Okay, our view of God. We might say two things. Trust in God and the reality of His Word. The Bible is supposed to drive how I interpret what goes on. And trusting in the God of the Bible is what's supposed to help me interpret what's going on. Okay, so let's move on here. We've got we to gotta keep moving. Um, why is anger at God viewed by some as healthy? Does that bother you like it bothers me? I read all these articles and I go, how on earth could you land there? How could you, how could you get there to where you're calling light darkness and darkness light? That sounds almost biblical, doesn't it? Yes, Dave. Mm-hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. 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 
Yeah. Right. That, that's true. And I, and I think that gets at part of the answer here. Do you guys understand how things are determined to be healthy in our culture? You know, what, what is healthy? You know, when you read and it says, this is healthy for you, this is good for you, this will make you whole, that, that it's, it's, it's an elite group of experts deciding that, an elite group of unbelieving experts for the most part. Um, that are basing their findings on empirical research and not on the Word of God. And I think that's a lot of it. When you see something that's universal through the lens of psychology and social science, usually universal means normal and okay. And I think that might be part of the answer here. Check this out. The psychotherapeutic culture we live in. There, There are three things that the culture driven by the psychology of our day teaches us, that leads us to this conclusion that maybe being angry at God is a healthy thing. The first thing is this, that emotions are morally neutral. I've had a dime for every book I read that says emotions are normally ne- morally neutral. That's just wrong, man. That's wrong. Because emotions are never just a thing. Emotions are always connected to the heart. They're always connected to what you're thinking, what you're desiring, what you're wanting, who you're worshiping, how you're responding. You can never disconnect the emotion from the heart that is processing that and even creating that emotion. So this, this business that emotions are morally neutral is just totally, totally unbiblical. Okay? Along with that, related thought, feelings just happen. You can't be, they can't be controlled. See... If I can't control my feelings, then if I get angry at God sometimes, well, who's going to fault that? I can't control it. I can't help it. But again, the same same issue, the Bible views emotions through the lens of how we interpret life, which means we do have control over those things. We do have control over how we respond because when when the heart gets changed, this is Romans 12, 1 and 2, when the mind is renewed, when the Word of God changes the heart and changes the mind, it changes how you respond. It changes how you feel. But that's that's not the culture we live in. The culture we live in says emotions are neutral. It's what you do with them that makes them right or wrong in the eyes of whoever is saying it. And feelings just happen. They cannot be controlled. The third thing, is that a healthy person is one who fully expresses their emotions to others. You ever read books like that? How many of you ever heard the term validation? Validation, validating. Um, the first thing you do if you're um, a counselor is when people tell you all the terrible things they've been thinking and feeling and doing, you validate them. Oh, I see. That's normal. That's okay. That's what you're doing. Because the psychotherapeutic culture says... A healthy person is someone who expresses their emotions. And the worst thing in the world you can do is not express your emotions. Which is why if someone does express your emotions, the first thing you do is validate that. Oh, that's very good. That's normal. That's you know great. So if that's health, then expressing all of our emotions at God must be healthy too, right? Now, <laughs> we saw... We've seen in Scripture what sinful responses can do sometimes before God. Expressing your emotions at God can get you killed in the Bible. 
You say, well, why doesn't it happen all the time? Because God is a patient, merciful God. The guy that I, that I was reading that was talking about Jeremiah said, well, Jeremiah vented at God and nothing happened to him. It must be okay. I'm thinking, that's because God is patient and long-suffering and merciful and he's slow to anger. Don't make that a proof text for making that okay. Make it a proof text for the greatness and patience of God. There's another reason I think that some people view anger at God as healthy. I think this just died, Mike. Can you advance it for me? Please. Is it locked up? Oh, there we go. We're good. Okay, got it. Got it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Yeah, the Christian Stoic influence, and I'll just throw these up here real quick. Christian Stoicism says this, I pretend everything is okay when it's not. The Christian thing to do is to pretend everything is okay when it's not. The second thing in Christian Stoicism is, I'm afraid to acknowledge my desires, thoughts, and feelings that are sinful. Christian Stoicism says, I can't, I can't deal with those things. I shouldn't, I shouldn't deal with it. I'm afraid to deal with those things. And ultimately, I live outwardly righteous without addressing ungodliness in my heart. So Christian Stoicism says, I'm just going to put on this front, put on this face, that everything's okay, outwardly religious, when in here, there's terrible things going on that I'm not dealing with. That's another extreme. You know, the psychological extreme is just express everything, just full vent, you know, make a picture of God and throw darts at it. I mean, I've read stuff like that. But the other extreme is also wrong, which is where I don't deal with my heart. I don't deal with anger. I don't deal with my questions and desires and, and thoughts and doubts. And I, I just pretend like that doesn't exist. That's wrong too. Did you get all that? Both denying anger at God when I really am angry and expressing anger toward God, thinking it's good and healthy to do so, are sinful and biblical practices. Those are the two ditches you want to avoid. Now, uh, so what, what, what should we do in this? What, what should we do uh, in thinking about anger at God? Okay? If, if we're angry at God, what should we do? Um, actually, let, let's deal with the heart first. What's at the heart of anger with God? What do you think? What's it come down to? Okay, not being able to get my way. Mistrust. Pride. Good job. Pride's number one. Because pride says, I think I know better than God. Related to that, one of you said it, is unbelief and a lack of trust. And those go together, by the way. Pride and unbelief almost always go together. Um, and then I just, I'll just put these up here. Bad theology. Haven't we seen that in Job? Have you seen bad theology contribute to this? You get what is coming to you, right? If you get what's coming to you, and what's coming to you is suffering, then you must have done something wrong. 
Think of all the things that we can misunderstand that can lead to getting angry at God. What about God's goodness, His justice? He's not really good. He's not really just. Or His sovereignty. He's not really in control. I get angry at God because He's not in control. We see that every time there's a tragedy, right? Some uh, crazy... Christian leader gets up and says, well, you know, God had nothing to do with this hurricane. God had nothing to do with this shooting. God had nothing to do with this. And so it's okay to get angry at him because he tried really hard, but he didn't try hard enough. What about care? Uh, We don't have time to develop this, but I was thinking. I don't buy for a minute... The, the teaching that says who my father was determines my view of God. I don't buy that for a minute. It's influential, but it's not determinative. What do you think of when you hear the term, God is my father? What comes to mind? You know, I've talked to some people that God as father is not a comforting thing at all. Um, some of us grew up in homes where we had loving, caring, involved fathers. Uh, some of us didn't. And like I said, that's not determinative, but how you view God as father is huge here. Absolutely huge. If he is distant, if he is unconnected, if he's got a short fuse, if you can never please him, if he's too busy, if he doesn't care about you, um, if you have to walk around on eggshells, fill it in. If that's your view of God, that, that, that's going to lead to this at some point. So how we... Uh, Tozer's right. You've heard the quote. What comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's absolutely true. And if what comes into our mind when we think about God is, is wrong, is, is, a, is a gross caricature of who my Father God is, um, it's going to be very easy to get angry at Him. So I think bad theology really contributes to that. We've got to move on here. So if you're angry at God, just three quick things here. If your, your anger does not need to be resolved, it needs to be repented of. Can, can, we just, can we just make a commitment today to stop calling, to stop saying that anger needs to be resolved? Anger needs to be repented of, not resolved. I don't know what resolved means, but it doesn't mean repentance. Yes, Ruth. So the, so the line of your anger does not need Yes, thank you. Ooh, yeah. Does not, thank you. Scribal error. Put that in there. Not right there. Yeah, it does not need to be resolved. It needs to be repented of. Ephesians 4, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, you put them away from you. Anger shouldn't be denied. It needs to be acknowledged. What, what does Proverbs 28, 13 say? The one who conceals his sin will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. Great proverb to memorize. In Proverbs 28, 13. What did, what did David say in Psalm 32, 5? I acknowledge my sin to you. 
I will not hide my sin. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Okay? I have to acknowledge it, not deny it. That Christian stoic thing is, is not the right thing to do. And finally, anger doesn't need to be expressed. It needs to be confessed and forsaken. He who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. You got that? We got to go here. Can I just show you an alternative? Flip back to that psalm we looked at. Psalm 13. We need to learn how to cry out to God, but to do it in faith. Uh, What Robert Jones calls holy lamenting. Christian complaining. Maybe that's too far. We need to learn how to express our questions, our dismay, our doubts, our fears, our struggles. We need to express those things to God, but we need to do it in faith. And that's what we see in Psalm 13. Look at him. Watch this. I'm borrowing this from, from Dr. Jones here. Look at verses 1 and 2. He cries out to God, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? It's okay to take your questions to God. We should take our questions to God. We should take our doubts to God. But watch where it goes in the psalm. It leads him to requests. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have overcome him. Lest my adversaries rejoice when I am shaken. So he expresses his struggles to God. He cries out to God. That leads to request. That leads to petition God. Lord, here's what I think I need. Here's, Here's the issue. But don't forget this. That leads him to a confession of trust. But I have trusted in your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And that leads to his commitment and praise. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. What did he just do? He cried out to God in faith. He expressed his struggles to God without accusing God. He went to God and said, Lord, things aren't right in my heart. Things aren't right in my life. It really is hard right now. But I trust you. And I love you. And I praise you. Here's what I would like you to do. Do do you see the difference between what he's doing and what Job is doing? Do you see the difference? Yes, and he never gets an answer from God. He makes his request, but it's not like God answers. That's right. At least right here he doesn't, yeah. This is what we need to learn to do. We need to learn to cry out to God in faith. We need to learn how to lament in a holy way. Just some some thoughts here. We need to bring God your questions, concerns, doubts, feelings, and struggles. We need to do that. That's what we're supposed to do. But we need to do it in faith. We need to do it without accusing God. And you know what? That's what we saw way back in Job 1, wasn't it? That's exactly what he did. Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's saying, Lord, you did this. But he's not accusing God of wrongdoing. 
and let trust in God steer your lament so that your final destination is always praise. Do you see him do that? Do you see how his trust is like the steering wheel of his lament? Do you see that? He's struggling. He's he's pouring out his heart. He's questioning. He's doubting. But trust is steering the car so that where he ends up is praising his God. There's some final examples there I gave you. Um, We're about out of time. Last minute comment or question before we conclude. Yes, Rich. Christ is, yeah, that's right. That's exactly it. All right. Anything else? All right, let's pray.